You're listening to the Hub City Church Podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. Morning. So I'm Greg, and uh, probably a few of you don't know me, so I'm just going to do a quick... Um, I, I like to say I'm the newest elder, which means I'm the babe of that group. <laughs> but I'm also the oldest. So um, 70 years. Um, in those years, I've learned a lot. But I think what I want to emphasize today is I have a whole lot left to learn. Um, I want you to know I'm a man of many mistakes. I'm a man who still knows the weaknesses of my youth. In the immortal words of DC Talk, I'm still a man in need of a savior. And it's from this place of well-earned humbleness that I want to offer to you some words about the psalm and uh, the book of Deuteronomy. Let us pray. For we gather here in your name, Lord, and believing that you are gathered here with us. So I pray that you will guide my speaking and guide all of our listening so that what we hear are your words and your message for us today. Amen. So here's the scene. The Israelites have just completed a 40-year wandering through the wilderness. Having left Egypt and now arriving on the eastern shore of the Jordan River, they're readying themselves to finally cross that river and enter into the promised land that was promised to them so many years ago. It's not been an easy trip. The people have groaned. They've complained at the hardships and the lack of provisions. They've rebelled against Moses and God a few times. They even begged to go back to Egypt once. But in spite of all of this, here they are, preparing to enter the promised land. And Moses has led them all these years and all that way, but he would not be leading them across the river. For Moses is about to die. The role of the leader is being handed off to Joshua. And the people have gathered to hear Moses' parting and last words before they cross that river. This is the setting of the book of Deuteronomy. It's the last book of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the last book that Moses wrote. And for the most part, Deuteronomy is a record of that last conversation that Moses has with those people, what he has to share with them. So I ask, what did he have to share? When I think of that, I'm reminded of my father and his last few works, words, last few years of his life, almost 10 years ago now. My dad was a stoic German farmer boy. He was a good man by almost any measure, but he was a man of not many words and almost fewer emotions. Though we all knew that he loved us, that word was never in his vocabulary, at least not until those final days. Like Moses, 
my dad knew that he was dying. The untreatable cancer eating away at his internal organs. And in recognition of that inevitable, words that he shared in those last remaining days took on deep importance. And my dad knew it. Many of those conversations were accompanied by tears, but not tears of loss or a sense of deep uh, fear or anything like that. They were tears of appreciation for the lives that we had shared. And never did one of those conversations end with my dad saying the words they had so long gone unsaid, would say, I love you. And the last time that I was with my dad, we laughed and we cried and we laughed again. And then my dad looked out at those of us who were assembled and I have the sense that he looked especially at my son and he said, I want you to remember that Jesus is the most important thing. Most important things. Like my dad, I believe that's exactly what Moses was focused on in this last conversation with his people. Gathered them to talk with them before they entered the promised land. The word Deuteronomy literally means second law or repeated law. And this is what Moses chose to do. He chose to summarize the story of the first four books that he had written. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers brought together, and he started his talk with this. And now, about the former days, long before your time, from the day God created human beings on the earth, ask from one end to the heavens to the other, has anything so great as this ever happened? Or anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have and lived? Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another one by testings, by signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds, like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. You were showing these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Besides him, there is no other. From heaven, he made you hear the voice to disciple you, to discipline you. On earth, he showed you his great fire, and you heard his words from out of the fire. Because he loved your ancestors and chose their descendants after them, he brought you out of Egypt in his, by his presence and his great strength to drive out before you nations greater and stronger than you and to bring you into their land and give it to you for your inheritance as it is today. Acknowledge and take heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and in earth below. There is no other. Keep his decrees and commandments, which I am giving you today, so that you may go, may go well with you and your children after you, and, and, that, and, and that you may live long in the land the Lord 
God gives you for all time. In that last talk, Moses reminds us people who they are. They are God's chosen people, people chosen by love. He reminds them of who he is, God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. He reminds them of what God has promised and is now fulfilling, a promised land. He reminds them of how they were guided by his presence. And he reminds them of how to respond by keeping his decrees and commandments. These are the most important things. And it is in these themes, these messages, that the fifth book of the Psalms is most closely tied to the book of book of Deuteronomy. And the connection between the two is no more evident than in Psalm 136. This is a unique psalm. While many of the psalms could be and often were and still are in many places sung or read responsively, Psalm 136 is written exclusively to be read that way. Through the verses, we are told a story that is in many ways similar to the story that Moses shared with the people on the shore of the Jordan River, the story of the people of God. Each verse read by the leader tells us something about who God is and how he has provided for his people. In the beginning, he tells us uh, who God is. He goes on and tells us what he created, talks about bringing them out of Egypt, talks about guiding them through the wilderness, bringing them into the promised land, and most importantly, for God's continued care for us, God's faithfulness. And the refrain of the people, his love endures forever, that proclaims over and over again that all of this is true because of his resolute, resilient, and eternal love for them, for us. I know that can seem a bit repetitious to some, but the refrain in a responsive reading was and still is a means of emphasizing the single truth that binds all of those other truths together. In this instance, all of God's provisions for his people as manifestations of the single overarching truth that God loves us. And because that is still true for us today, I want us to read that psalm responsibly as a way of participating in that great chorus of praise for God's provisions and enduring love, even as the Israelites did many thousands of years ago. We're going to do this. I'll start. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. Who by his understandings made the heavens. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. Who made the great lights. The sun to govern the day and the moon and the stars to govern the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, 
and brought Israel out from among them with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder and brought Israel through the midst of it, but swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness, to him who struck down the great kings and killed the mighty kings, Ion, king of the Amorites, and Ad, the king of Bashan, and gave their land as an inheritance, an inheritance of his servant Israel. He remembered us in our low estate and freed us from our enemies. He gives food to every creature. Give thanks to the God of heaven. Thanks. Now I want to take us back to Deuteronomy, where we can find another strong connection between Moses' most important things and the fifth book of Psalms. At the beginning of what, is, what he had to share with the people, he proclaims this. Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 8. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. You will hear about all, who will hear about all the decrees and say, surely a great nation is wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord is God is near you and us whenever we pray to him. And whatever nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as the body of laws I'm setting before you today. You know, it may seem strange to us who more often than not think of ourselves as being freed from the law. The Israelites, on the other hand, saw God's law as a gift, a gift that set them apart, that defined them as a people, that made them great, and it was a tangible expression of God's love for them. And in recognition of this, another psalm, Psalm 119, is more than anything else, a love song about that law. It's a long psalm. In fact, it's the longest. In fact, if it were a chapter in a book in the Bible, it would be the longest chapter in the Bible. But it's not. Psalm 119, in addition to being long, is written in the form of an acrostic. It's a poetic form, form organized around a word or other set of letters that gives additional meaning to the whole. I think I have an example of an acrostic up there. Um, there it is. Probably, so that's a simple version. We're going to look at much, but it's a way in which we're we take a word or a set of letters and add meaning to the phrase. And uh, Psalm 119 is written like that, except it's a lot longer. The whole poem, poem is organized around all of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. There are 176 verses, 
divided into 22 stanzas of eight verses each, one stanza for each letter, with each stanza beginning with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Why did they do that? One obvious reason is it helped the people to memorize such a long psalm. We have to remember that in those days, most people couldn't read. If they could read, very unlikely they'd possess a written copy of any portion of the Bible. Everything had to be handwritten. So memorization was the only way in which the people had ready access to the word. But there's another suggested reason for, uh, for the reason that it's organized in this way, and it was to demonstrate that there was no better purpose to which to put our Hebrew language than to give praise and thanks for the law that guided them, defined them, and set them apart. I want to share with you just a small sample of uh, Psalm 119. This is the fifth stanza, beginning with the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which just happens to be Hey. Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees, that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart towards your statutes and not towards selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise of your servant so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, preserve my life. Listen to the words there. For there I find delight. Turn my heart towards your statutes. How I long for your precepts. These are not cold academic words. Instead, they're words laden with emotion, with adoration for the law that God gave his people through Moses, the law that guided them, defined them, and set them apart. So finally, let's go back to Deuteronomy, where Moses ended his sermon to the people with these words. Take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words. They are your life. By them you will live long in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess. Faithful adherence to God's law. Take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, for they are not just idle words for you. They are your life. This is what Moses left them with. And again, I think of my dad and his last words. I want you to remember that Jesus is the most important thing. If only that would have been what happened. But of course, that isn't what happened. I and my family didn't always remember that Jesus was the most important thing. And the Israelites, about to cross into the promised land, would soon forget Moses' words as well. And this was no surprise to Moses, and it should not any, be any surprise to us here. In fact, God himself revealed to Moses that the Israelites would rebel soon enough, saying to Moses, when I brought them into the land flowing of milk and honey, 
the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. And when they eat their fill and they thrive, they will turn to other gods and worship them, rejecting me and breaking my covenant. And this was pretty consistent with what Moses had experienced while with the Israelites in those 40 years in the wilderness. They would not be faithful. And this is bad news. And as we read further in the Bible, we'll learn how this unfaithfulness led to some pretty bad things happening. But all was not lost. Not for them, not for my family, and not for us here. For even in this bad news, there's some good news, some gospel news for the people of Israel and for us here today. Moses' sermon on the banks of the Jordan ends with a song that God had given him and then instructed him to teach to the people. We've come to call it the Song of Moses. We read the first eight verses of this song. Whitney read it at the beginning of this service, and now I want to bring us our attention back to those verses. Listen, you heavens, and I will speak. Hear, you earth, the words of my mouth, and the words, let, the te- let my teaching fall like rain, and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect. All his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. After that, there's kind of a longish section of the song where The words go on to recall again the many ways in which God had provided for his people and the many ways in which the people had chosen, had been chosen and continue to be unfaithful to the point of embarrassment and even shame because God goes on to tell Moses, this song will testify against them because it will not be forgotten by their descendants. But then the song of Moses ends with these words. Rejoice, O nations with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants. He will take vengeance on his enemies and make atonement for his land and his people. Why does this song end this way? Because despite all the people's unfaithfulness, God is faithful. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. And for a moment, just jumping back to Psalms, we see this trust in a faithful God so clearly reflected in King David's words from Psalm 143. Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. Do not bring your servant to judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. David was keenly aware of his unrighteousness, of his own unfaithfulness. And it was in this knowledge that he cried out to God for mercy, for God's love, trusting completely in God's faithfulness and righteousness, and not his own. Like me, David knew that he was still a man in need of a Savior. The good news in all of this is that, as with the Israelites on the shore of the Jordan River, the promised land is there before us even today. And our entry is made possible not by 
not by our faithfulness to God, but by his faithfulness to his promises, to his people, to us. Moses knew this and taught it to the Israelites. King David knew it and cried out to the faithful God because he knew that God was his only hope. And David's son, King Solomon, knew knew it and wrote in Lamentations, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Then in 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul assures us, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. One Bible commentary explains this and says, those believers who struggle, who are faithless, are still held by God. He remains faithful even when his people are not. This theme is consistent with God's faithfulness to his people Israel in the Old Testament. Though they often rejected him, he continued to keep his promises to them. And he does for us. We have in worship a faithful God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And that is exactly how the fifth book of Psalm ends with praise. And believing that God is, fa- is a faithful God, is here with us now, what else do we have to do but join in that praise? So in ending my message to you, I would like to invite you to join together with me in reading the last psalm, a psalm of praise, the way in which it was intended that all 150 psalms would end. Praise the Lord. Praise the Praise God in his sanctuary. You can do it with me. (laughs) Praise him. This would be a shout. Come on. Praise him in the mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet and sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yeah, that's why we know we have Christian rock music. Okay, so, okay. Um, God goes with us because he loves us. And our life in him is assured because he is faithful even when we are not. Great is his love. Great is his faithfulness.